want the church to know that on Tuesday at 11 o'clock, the funeral service for our sister Lizzie Isabel will be here at the church, and um, we encourage you to come and support. In addition, remember next Sabbath, uh, this starting this Wednesday night, we have our stewardship seminar and we are going to ask you all to please come out and support. Uh, this is a very important seminar as this is the first of the year. And this is not just going to be about the church. It's not just going to be about tithe. It's really about uh, your whole being. And, and so we're going to have uh, Dr. Logan Nolan. Kim Lo, um, Logan Nowlin coming and um, leading out starting from Wednesday at 7, um, Friday at 7 o'clock, and will be culminating on Sabbath. Uh, she will be talking on the 33 laws of stewardship. And so we want you to keep note of that. And we pray that this will be a blessed event. Amen. Please bring a friend. Amen? Amen. Please support the church's programs. Um, this uh, coming, uh, this past week, uh, was a very interesting week. And uh, in the midst of it, I was, I was going through my Facebook page, and a friend from New York sent me a link. And I thought it was so intriguing. Every time I look at this link, I, I just, it just brought me down to, to laughter. You know, to realize where God has brought us from. He has brought us, I mean, through so much to where we are right now. Even though we still have trials. Even though we still have tribulations. It don't matter. He has brought us through, right? Amen? And I don't know, but listen, if you are uh, someone that have been redeemed and you know that you have come through great trials and tribulations, uh, you know what it is. You know what it is. You appreciate where you're sitting right now. You know, and, and truly, it's a celebration. Some people, I, I see, and I, from my vantage point, I see people coming to church and they just slip in the pew and they just bow their heads, lift a hand, and you could just see the excitement as if they're saying, I made it. I made it once again. And I don't know about you, but when we are connected with God, I mean, we got to celebrate, amen? Uh, because he is, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the, the, the beginning and the end. He is that great God. He does so much for us even behind the scenes. He's the one that woke up very early before the sunrise, and he actually doesn't sleep. And 
you know, he, he just sets things up and he says, I want the sun to rise on time to warm the earth for my loved ones. And so he creates the atmosphere for a blessing for us. He creates the atmosphere for a daily blessing for each and every one of us. This is what God is doing. There is the atmosphere of blessing, but sometimes we don't realize what he has done. We don't realize the foundation that he has laid. We don't realize the protection that he has granted you throughout the night that you could wake up and freely serve him. Even when trials and tribulations are there, are upon us, God is there with us. And I, I just want to say that we serve an awesome God. And I love him so much for what he has done for me and what I'm seeing him doing in your life. Amen, everybody? I know some of you may be looking and saying, what is he talking about? Right? I'm just talking about the goodness of God. That's all. And I could stay here and talk forever. But God has brought us out. He has brought us out through much tribulation. A scripture that was given to me early this morning in the book of Psalm chapter 81. Psalm chapter 81, verse 10 and 12. Psalm chapter 81, verse 10 to 12. It says, I am the Lord thy God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken unto my voice, and Israel would none of me. And so I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walk in their own counsels. Do you want God to give you up? Right now, God is saying, listen, I want you to open your mouth wide and receive the blessings that I have for you. Open your mouth wide and claim the blessing that is in store for you. Every single one of us, even our visitors, you may be, this may be the first time that you came into a Seventh-day Adventist church. It may be the first time God has a blessing in store for you. Amen? That is God. He has set this up years before you even know it, God. He wanted you here. Because there is something that God is going to connect you with. He's going to connect you with a blessing. Amen? And that's our God. And so we don't need to be playing around. We don't need to be fooling around. Because God has a blessing in store for us. And so I was looking through YouTube and I saw this little clip and I want you to pray as you look at it and please don't laugh, right? I want you to just look at this. Now, let's bow our heads for a prayer first. Father in heaven, we ask that you bless your people and bless your words. 
We pray, Father, that you will please move upon us once again. And I pray that you will move me out of the way. And as we share in the next few moments, Lord, may there be something said to encourage each and every one of us on our journey towards God, towards heaven. We thank you. We praise you, Lord, because you are worthy to be praised. This man has a problem. He throws his jacket on the problem. An alligator is, is in his backyard. saw this clip I said I, I put up a, a link and I said please leave the alligator alone he will bite your arm off leave it alone and there's something that kept bringing me back to this bringing me back bringing me back to this thing and I'm and I'm realizing that there's a problem here there is a problem with this man and I, I didn't understand it I didn't understand but as I was looking and as, I, as I'm thinking about this I said you know that's our problem we see an alligator and and if you look at the clip really well you had some big buffed men around but this little man decide to go down and take on the alligator on his own and he jumps down and I don't know about you but if I saw an alligator in my backyard well I'm gonna call somebody I would not even call the police <laughs> I'm gonna call the specialist but this man takes off his jacket takes off his watch, drops his watch on the, on the grass, and he throws his jacket to blindfold the alligator. Immediately when he drops his jacket on the alligator, the alligator reacts and snaps at him. And snaps. And, but the, uh, the jacket is over, as you could see it, but the man decides to go down and take care of business. And so he goes over the alligator. I'm, 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 and I'm saying, okay, what is this guy going to do now? Is he going to rustle the alligator? What is he going to... He doesn't even have a rope. Because, you know, professional alligator trappers and, you know, hunters, they normally have a rope when you're, you know, the alligators, you're wrapping, the jaw shut, right? But this man goes down to take the alligator on. And the alligator gives him the shake of his life. If you notice, it had his arm. And he miraculously, the alligator opened up to get a sizable bite, but he jolted off to the side and he pushed off. And he barely escapes. We are like that man. We see the alligator and we play around with it. 
The Bible tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion and he's seeking whom he may devour. We know and we see the devil down there and we go and play with the devil. We go and fool around with the devil not knowing that danger is on the horizon. And so we are playing Russian roulette with the devil. Do not play with fire or you will be burnt. And so we see there is a problem. We see there's a problem with us. There's a sin problem. And we are incapable of handling it on our own. The thing is that this man needed to call the right source. He needed to call someone who is a professional that will be able to take care of business. But instead, he takes care of it on his own. So many of us right now are perishing because... We think that we could take care of our problems on our own. And so I've entitled the message this morning, A Royal Cover-Up. A Royal Cover-Up. And we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. And I'd like you to turn there with me, 2 Samuel, chapter 11. Maya? 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman or woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent to him David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David sent to, said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of its master's servants, and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Having you just come from a distance, why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk but in the evening when 
in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servant. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the firing is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, son of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Also, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Job had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. Then archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant the Hittite, Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her brought to his house, and she began his, became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. Well read. Amen. Let's put our hands together. Thank you very much. Praise God. We see in this story a problem. The David, the king, this great man, the man after God's own heart, he had it all set up. He saw this woman, as we saw, as we heard, read, and this woman was beautiful, and he decided to take advantage of the situation. We see that David here, somehow he got himself in this position while there was a war going on where he should be the one leading out. He decided to do something a little different. We see that there is a, a problem here in, as we see outlined in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. This all begins with idleness. Sin begins with idleness. I want you to say this with me. Sin begins with idleness. Uh, the king, he sent out his troops to fight against the Amorites. And they're going to fight, but he decides to stay home. And while he is home, Satan decides to keep him busy in his own way. And so David, in this um, since now he is not fighting the war that he should be fighting, but he ends up fighting a war that he should not be fighting. Yeah. And so it begins here as we see the, the chapter unfolds that David, he goes out and he is wandering around idling. And then in verse 2, we see that it centers around self. We see that uh, David is seeking to please himself, right? 
And so it says, and it came to pass at eventide as he arose from his bed, he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Satan set the scene up so well, and this woman was beautiful to look upon. She had to be attractive. And so David now, he is looking, and he is, everything is playing around in his mind. And now, I immediately, instead of consulting God, verse 3, we see that David consult himself. And so he inquired uh, and sent and inquired after the woman, and, I, and it said, and one said, it is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah. As soon as he heard that she was a wife, he should have just said, oh, shucks. She could have been she could have been another one of my wives because then, you know, they had a king, could have multiple wives back then, right? And he should have said that, but that didn't stop him. You see, David, he was breaking the speed limit. He was jumping across different fences. He was doing things that he should not have been doing. And so he puts himself in this position right now. In verse 3, he knew this, and he made a conscious effort that he is going to go against the word of God. And so this is what happens when we forget the word of God. The word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If we want to overcome sin, we need to stick to the word of God. Amen? We need to have the word of God right now. I am telling you, we are living in a day and age right now when it is unpopular to preach about sin. It is unpopular for us to talk about sin because when we talk about it, we seem to be callous. We seem to be mean. We seem to be breaking up someone's play. You know what I mean, right? And so we are in a state of compromise. When we are saying we're looking for a way to make something that is blatantly wrong, we're, seeing, we're looking for a way to make it right. And that's the problem that we face in our world today. Every one of us. The biblical, biblical accounts is no longer the standard. Uh, there was a time in the courts of law when adultery, you could be fined and could be locked up for adultery, but no longer. You're just tapped on the back, and, uh, you know, it, it's okay. Senators caught up. Ministers caught up. No problem. They just transfer the problem. And so what we see here right now, the biblical account is no longer the standard. Popular preachers refuse to preach on sin. And so we're in a state of emergency, and I would say a state of compromise. It's very important for us to understand this. We have to stop sweeping sin under the rug. We have to deal with it as is. I remember a few years ago, you know, uh, somebody came to me and said, well, pastor, can't you, can't you, you know, preach, you know, these, you know, some positive messages? 
why do you have to always be knocking us on the head? I said, I'm not knocking anyone on your head. I'm only lifting the word of God. And we have, to, we have to stand up and speak the truth as it is in God and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so we see that David had got himself in the state of compromise where the word of God was no longer the standard. He was caught up in the lifestyle of being a king. And as you know, as a king, a king... Whatever the king says goes. The king was pampered. The king, he was the highest monarch in the state. And so he could make laws. He could break laws. He could do whatever he wanted to do because he was the king. But I want you to know that even if you are the king, even if you are the king of the greatest country or the president of the greatest country or wherever you think you're ruling, it is impossible to hide. You may be able to hide certain things for a certain time, but eventually it will come out. Eventually your sin will find you out. You know, I read these scriptures sometimes and I think in a graphical way and I'm just imagining that sin that you're thinking about right now, it's going to find you out, but it's going to find you out publicly. You know, it's seeking for you. It's going to find you out and a big scandal comes out. Sin will find you out because we may hide things from man and man does not see it for a time, but eventually it will come out. There is one that sees and knows exactly what is happening within the heart. Every single one of us, including the preacher, is inundated with this, right? And this is why it is very important to have a pure and a clean heart. This is why it is important when you get up in the morning, you could pray for forgiveness and ask the Lord for cleansing. It is very important for us to understand there are sins that we may be committing right now and we tell ourselves that we serve a forgiving God. God will forgive. God will forgive. And so we tell ourselves these things at times, but we go and sin knowing that we could pray for forgiveness. This kind of attitude is displeasing to God. If you know that you're living in sin, it is very important to recognize it, to confess your sins, because in confessing your sins, indeed, the Lord can help you. But if you don't, if you're masquerading, hiding it, and covering it up, or even on a public display, either way, it will come against you. Amen? The church is a little quiet. You know, I always wonder sometimes, you know, you're preaching, and then it's like the volume goes down, and everyone's just looking, you're wondering, you know, what are they saying, you know, what are they thinking? But I'm telling you, church, it's important for us to look within ourselves and see where we stand before God. Amen? 
And so we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6 to 11, we see def definitely that it is impossible, it is impossible to hide from God. It is impossible. We can't cover this thing up. It's going to come out. And we see later on that, you know, this drags man deeper and deeper into sin. So David is exposed. And so he's exposed and he's sent unto, he sent for Joab and seeing, he said, send Uriah the Hittite. Send for him. And Joab sent for Uriah the Hittite. You see, he was exposed. And so what he is trying to do now, he is trying to set up this royal cover-up. You see, it's going to be embarrassing for the king of Israel and Judah to be having a child or with another man's wife. And so he tries to cover it up. And so he sends for Uriah because Uriah is going to come home. He's going to come home from the battle. He's going to come home, and when he comes home, he's going to be so happy that he is home, and he's going to rush home, wash himself, and spend the night with his wife. He is going to celebrate. But does he celebrate? He doesn't. You see, Uriah, he knows something a little different. You see, Uriah knows that there is a battle that is going on. Uriah knows that his, 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 his compatriots and all of them, they are fighting. And he knows that there is no way that he could be fighting while his fellow men, his, those, those that of his fellow soldiers, they are fighting in the field. He knows that. And so Uriah holds back and he says, no, I can't do this. You see what we have to understand in the whole mix as we look at verse 8. We see very clearly that we see that David now and Uriah, David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him uh, a mesh uh, mess of meat for from the king. And what does Uriah do? Verse 9, and he goes on, and Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and went not down to his house. Verse 10, in verse 10 it says here, and when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, cameth uh, thou not from th thy journey? Why then did thou not go down unto thy house? And look at verse 11 now. Uriah said, David, the ark of the ark and Israel and Judah abides in tents. The ark. What is in the ark? The very Ten Commandments of God, the very character of God, it is in a tent. The ark of God, the very character of God, the laws of God that governs Israel, it's in a tent, and Israel and Judah, and abide in tent. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in open field. Shall I go into my house? Should I go and sleep in my house when the ark of God is in a tent? When my captain and his servants, they are in the open field, should I 
to eat and drink and lie with my wife? And Uriah is making this argument in verse 12. He's making this argument and bringing this argument to him. And, and, thou, and thou li- as thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. You see, Uriah knew what it was. He knew what it was to be principled. He knew what it was to serve God. And so Uriah says, no way, I will not do this thing. And so the cover-up did not work. It did not work. And David now is panicking because he sees and knows that Uriah is right. This is an honorable man. This is a man that is, that is standing up for principle. This is one of my best soldiers. But sometimes we sacrifice our best person's friendship, relationship, in order to cover our mess. And so David, David now he's panicking because he knows that something is happening and now he should be warring against the Amorites, but now he's warring to cover his mess. When we play with fire, we'll be burnt. And he was experiencing this shake of his life. And so David goes on now in verse 13. We see that David now, and David had called him and did not, he did not eat or drink before him and he made him drunk. You see the plot thickens, it's getting even worse now. Made him drunk and at even he went out to lie on his bed um, with the servants of the Lord, but he went not down to his house. He didn't even show up to see his wife, to check on his wife. Because he knew the battle. The battle was not won. He knew that if the battle was not won, he should not go home. He was a good soldier. He was a diligent soldier. And there are so many of us We want to celebrate even before the battle is done. We want to act and jig and do the Harlem Shake and all of these things and praise up and all of this, and the battle is still going on. And that's the problem that we face as Christians. We like to celebrate too early, not recognizing that the battle is on. And that battle that we're fighting is the battle of us, within us. I'm telling you folks, I had to take stock in my life. Because there was a time that I was just, you know, coasting on as a Christian. I was just doing what I had to do, the nominal things as a Christian. And yeah, I would just love to kick back and celebrate, but not recognizing that every time I would kick back and celebrate it will put me way back. And so what happens in the whole mix is that, you know, I became this sometime ischemic part-time Christian. And God wants us on the job full-time. And so here, David now, he's in this position in verse 14. 
and he's looking and scheming, and it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter. He stayed up all night, and he decided, I'm going to set this thing up. I'm going to write a letter, and so he writes a letter and gives it to who? He gives it to Uriah, and Uriah brings this letter to Joab. And the letter says, put him in the heat of the battle. Wipe him out. You see, David think that somehow if he should wipe and get rid of Uriah, that will cover it up. Because then he could quickly get Uriah's wife over to him and no one will ever know. They will think that this child came legitimately within the marriage. <coughs> But David didn't understand what was happening. You see, David, somehow he forgot that there was a God that was looking down on his mess. See, there, is, there are times that we, we are so caught up in what we're doing and we think that we outsmart God and we don't know that God is looking down and he's seeing what's happening. Amen. He's seeing our mess. He's seeing the sights that we're on. He's seeing the chat sites that we're on. He sees what we're watching in our dark rooms, in our man caves. He sees and he understands. And sometimes what we try to do is that we try to manipulate. He knows, ladies, where you go. When you leave work, you don't go straight home. Some of you may take a detour. He knows. He knows what you are entertaining and he sees. He sees it and he knows where you're going. But we are covering it up and we hide it. I'm telling you, it is so hard for us to realize that the God we serve, he wants to and he's seeking for a righteous people. We may have fallen. We may have messed up. But God simply just wants us to recognize that he is there. He is seeing it. So if we know that God is seeing it in the presence, we know that God has his security cameras everywhere. You know that he has everything. There is no, you can't break through any, you know, God's firewall and hack his computer and steal your file. He has it all. He has a one up on you, and he knows exactly what's happening. And I'm just saying to us folks, it's important for us to realize the God we serve, quote, unquote. You know, as I was thinking this morning, and I'm saying, and every time I'm going over the messages, and I'm saying, you know, um, why bother? It seems like sometimes it's just a in, in, uh, temporary entertainment. We got to say something to keep everybody awake and keep them entertained. And everyone, you know, I have to do some cartwheels and all of these things. But sometimes it's after this and I see the progression. It's as if the message is not being heard. It seems like we don't get the message. And we continue in our sinful lives. And I'm talking about me too. 
Because it's a hard thing if I get up there and I'm preaching and everything, and then a faith test comes and I fail and I say, well, didn't I just preach on that? You know, it's, it's a contradiction, but it is for me as well. But I'm saying to us is that there is a problem of sin, and we got to recognize that this problem that we face right now it will break us down, and we are trying to cover it up. We're trying to hide it. You see, this drags us deeper and deeper, and we are trying to masquerade this as David was trying to do that. Look in verse 15 now. We see in verse 15 that David even goes further. He writes this letter saying, Set Uriah in the front of the hottest part of the battle. Retire uh, he from him. Pull away from him that he may be smitten. Leave him alone. This is an, an, an assassination. And at the end of the text, when I read this, it says um, that David, when this happened, right? When this happened and God saw the whole thing unfold, it says, but the Lord was extremely displeased with what David had done. Now, God could have intervened at any time. And some of us right now, we think we're getting away with it. We think that we, yeah, we have this all perfectly set up. Yeah, we're robbing the bank. Yes, we almost have it. And, and so everything is set. And we, yes, we're gone away. We're in the open field. We're in another country. We're in Switzerland. Yes, we have made it. We, have, we are successful. But God sometimes, he allows the whole thing to run its course. And this is what God was doing because he wanted to see what is David going to do? Where is the real David? The real David, when is he going to stand? But he didn't stand. This is why we have verse chapter 12. And as we come down the other part of it, I'm going to ask for you to come. Who is going to read chapter 12? McKinley, where are you? All right. sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him there were two men in one city one rich and the other poor the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and his children it ate his own food and drank from his own cup lay on his bosom and it was like a daughter to him and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock, from his own herd, to prepare one for the weary uh, far, farmer men who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the men who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, 
and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of the Amen. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give you give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blasphemy, the children also who is born to you shall surely die. Mm. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the children, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but who would, who he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How, we could, how, how can we tell him that the child is dead? He may, not, he may do some harm. When David saw this, his servants were whispering. David uh, perceived that the ch child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. much McKinley amen amen praise the Lord now listen we see this as I come to the conclusion of this we see that Nathan he represents God he represents who God is and God tells it to his prophet God does nothing on earth in Amos chapter 3 verse 8 verse 7 he does nothing on earth unless he reveals it unto his servant, the prophet, and Nathan comes to town. Whenever the prophet comes to town, everybody's afraid because you don't know if the prophet is coming to your house. It may be good news or bad news, but Nathan comes with the news. I was watching on, on a, a Facebook message someone sent to me, and it was a very intriguing message. This judge, she had uh, two defendants, and one person that was accusing, apparently she accused these two boys of uh, robbing her, stealing from her, right? And the judge asked, please itemize the things that were stolen. And she went in and she says, well, I had so much money here, I had this, I had that, and I had these earbuds. And as soon as she said the earbuds, one of the guys on the other side, no, there's no, there was no earbuds there. <laughs> 
within, within 30 seconds, within 30 seconds, the judge says, what? Well, okay, I, I award you. And <laughs> she, she rendered uh, the judgment, and it was against those, the defendants. The guy, he admitted, not understanding, not realizing, right, what he was doing, but he admitted his guilt. David did the very same thing. He did the very same thing. That man shall surely die. And immediately not knowing that he was condemning himself. I want to say this morning, many of us, we're condemning ourselves right now. We're condemning ourselves and we know that we're guilty. We know that we're wrong. And we're condemning ourselves. And the truth be told is that God, he has made this so plain for us. And if we were in the word, if we stuck with the word, we would not be deceived. It is when we get caught up with the hype of life when we caught up, get caught up with all of the wonderful niceties of life and we put the word behind us and we don't keep it before us, we don't hide it within us, it is when this occurs that sin creeps in and takes advantage of us. God's mercy in confronting David about sin. He was merciful. God sends Nathan and Nathan represents God. And so this rich man, he was a man that he had everything as the story that Nathan set up. You know, he said in his heart, you know, let, let, let others give. I'm not going to give, right? So he's entertaining friends. He failed to love or to pity the poor man. He robbed the poor man of his possession. And when we think of it, are we doing the same thing? When we think of it, what David did, he had, it, he had everything. He had the palace. He had his riches. He had his wives. But he took this other man's wife and he covered it up. What we have to understand that David, he did not stay with that relationship. He did not stay connected with God in his prayer time. He did not have that, that oneness with God. And if we truly have that oneness with God, I am telling you, we cannot sin. If God is with us and we continually pray without ceasing, allowing God to be in our life, you are not going to be caught up in any of these sins. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect, but I'm telling you, you will not be caught up. But the problem is, is when we turn our backs on God and when we put down the word of God, when we refuse to pray, when we think that, okay, God, thank you for bringing me this far. I could do it on my own now. It is at that time, it is at that time Satan says, all right, let's go. You know, it is at that time when we think that we could fight the devil. And so we jump down in the pit and try to rustle the alligator by ourselves. It is at that time we get demolished. And so it's important for us to understand, Christian, we need to let God lead at all times. Amen? 
We need to let God lead at all times. Do not trust in your own abilities. Do not trust in any of your powers, thinking that you have superpowers. Amen? We don't have it. We cannot defy gravity. We cannot fight the devil on our own. We need to realize that it is God and God alone. We have to allow him in our lives. Amen? Amen. And so we say, let others do the Christian work as the rich man uh, covets his wealth. We covet our time to play uh, or to pursue our pleasures. And it is in that time we get trapped. We forget that God's word uh, and we forgot God's word and begin to believe that somehow we are invincible. You are not invincible. It's important to know it's God's way or the highway. We need to allow God to lead. And so we see the results that came forth as uh, as as the consequences came up that this child that was born, that child uh, died shortly after. But God has a sense of humor. You see, David, when he was confronted with this, David, he says, listen, I have sinned. It's me. It is me that has brought all of this. And he owned it. And immediately when he owned it, it's very important for us to see this lesson. Right after David owned the sin, Nathan says, you will not die. God has forgiven you. Every single one in this place, and I want you to leave without understanding, God has already forgiven you. That sin that you have committed, he has forgiven you already. You're forgiven. You just have to accept it. You just have to own it. And that's what David did. And as soon as he accepted and he owned the sin, immediately, Nathan says, all right, you will not live. You will not die, but the child will die. But still David went out and he laid down, took ashes, sackcloth, and laid down, and he prayed to the Lord because he knew that God, at times God comes around and says, okay, David, and God could render and say, okay, I'm turning it around. But the child died. And when the child dies, David gets up and he goes and eats. David, he had set up this royal cover-up, but God set up a divine exposure, and he was exposed. This is why we're reading this story right now. If the cover-up had remained, we would not have heard of it. But God exposed it. And you don't want God to expose your situation. 
Because at times when you're exposed to that situation, you may not even come back. But God showed mercy to David. If David had stood up and says, I am not that man. If he had stood up and he had fought that, I am telling you, we would have reading of, we'll be reading of a different David now. But David, he owned it. He owned it. Folks, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with all of us. God is calling us to be righteous. I know that we cannot be perfect on our own. But I'll tell you, when we stick with the word of God, when we allow the word of God to come alive in our lives, Satan is ticked off because he knows that he can't come near us. Just remember Job. When we have that prayer time with God, when we get on our knees and pray and call out to God, I am telling you, even in the midst of temptation, Satan will flee. He will run. He is no match for God. Whatever sin you are thinking about now, that sin, yes, you know, that's that besetting sin that you are struggling with, whatever sin you're going through right now, God, he has an answer for it. If you allow him. The hard thing is that some of us will turn our backs and leave these doors and exit the property and we will just leave with our sins. But God wants to turn it around. He wants to bless us. afternoon I will be making an appeal the Bible says all of us including me the preacher all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all of us